What's your favourite bit from the movie The Artist? Answer me this, answer me this. That was a joke about silent film. Yes, this week's Answer Me This is going to be entirely meta jokes. <laughs> Get ready. Come back! <laughs> um, welcome, welcome to the show. Uh, yes. we're, we're starting with a question that's about someone who's not been in the public eye for quite some time. Public eye. Yeah, that's well right. Well done, Ollie. Eye. Eye is a clue as to mm. who is in this question, which is from Rebecca from Felixstowe, who says, Ollie, answer me this. Surely... The reason given on Wikipedia as to the origins of Gabrielle's eye injury... Pop star, 90s pop star Gabrielle, everyone. <laughs> ...isn't right. Right. And uh, she's enclosed a screen grab uh, where it says the eye patch that Gabrielle famously wore... That's right. ...during, yeah. during, during one of her... may come through... No, I think she no, got she rid of it off then. by that point. Yeah, just in dreams. Oh. It's funny, isn't it, how in the public imagination she was always wearing an eye patch, but actually... Cool. It was she, a great look. Because in the second album she had the hair going over, didn't she? Yeah. Third album, sunglasses. sunglasses. But yeah. information, yeah. eye always covered. Well, according to Wikipedia, <laughs> yeah. the eye patch was due to a childhood injury that she suffered at a Butlins resort after being involved in an unfortunate jousting accident what? during one of the many live medieval entertainment shows the Redcoats were putting on. <laughs> that left her with a lazy eye, which soon became iconic. Now, this is no longer on Wikipedia. Yeah, because it's bullshit, isn't it? And actually, her whole Wikipedia page does seem very sanitised because... It is very much single releases, single releases, single releases. There's quite a lot to Gabrielle. She's had quite a topsy-turvy life. Turbulent and private life. The father of her son is an axe murderer. Mm. And that oh. usually comes up in interviews. It is public domain knowledge, yet yeah. not on the not bastion on of information that is Wikipedia. Mm. Yeah, I hope you're not suggesting that a record company might censor the information that's on Wikipedia. But it might make people think, oh, poor Gabrielle, she has suffered. I'll buy her records. Yeah, maybe. Well, um, Gabrielle's own website does say that she had a childhood injury oh, that really? left her with a drooping eyelid. I thought she was just born with a born lazy with a drooping eye. Yeah, and in fact, other it, it, there does seem to be contradictory information out there because she did an interview with The Telegraph a few years ago uh, and the journalist there says she was born with a droopy eyelid. So there's conflicting information out there. But anyway, the, the main reason that this is firing off my bullshit detectors, Helen, is because, I mean, I don't, I've never went to Butlins in the 1970s, obviously, because I wasn't born. They weren't renowned for their medieval jousting? That sounds like an American thing, doesn't it? What, like a renaissance fair? Yeah, like in um, The Cable Guy, when they go to past times. And also you wouldn't allow a child within several metres of a jousting yeah. match. And yeah. if she did get a joust in the eye, she probably would have lost her entire brain and be dead. That's right. And also, mm. it probably, bearing in mind Butlin's red coats in the 70s, probably would have been someone who also went on to fame who'd done it. Brian Conley or <laughs> Shane Ritchie. <laughs> if it was Les Dennis what done it, we'd that would be in the Wikipedia article as well. Well, here's a question from Fabio who says, in my local Sorry, pub- we just pause and admire the fact that we have a listener called Fabio. <laughs> Is it the Fabio? It doesn't say, does it? No. There, are t- there are two the Fabios, aren't there? There's the Fabio the I'm model. thinking of and Groove Rider. Oh, oh you? Yeah. I was thinking of the one that's on all of the covers of romance oh, yeah. novels romance with his novels tits from out, the 90s. long yeah. hair, yeah. chiselly jaw, ridiculous yeah, yeah. looking yeah, he's, man. He's the one in the drum and bass combo, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> He's had a very diverse career. Fabio says, In my local park, Clissold Park in Hackney... My local park too! Oh my God! Let's meet up with Groove Rider and feed the ducks together. <laughs> <laughs> they have recently reopened the cafe, they we have. know. Bloody love it. Big selection of meringues. Yeah, it was a little bit pricey, we thought, didn't we? But basically tasty. I mean, yeah. it's certainly an improvement on what it was before. I've actually had a row about this. This is a celebrity row, listeners, on Twitter with James Brown. Not as in James Brown, he's, but as he's in... He's past the point of rowing about James Brown, I'm mates with the Gallaghers. I used to edit loaded him. 
He said... That's a good impression. Thanks, Is that yeah. what he said? Like? I don't know. I've never heard him speak. He said that uh, Cliss Old Park was rubbish now because he wanted to take his sons there after the footy because he's such a lad. And he couldn't oh. because it's all come up and they've flossed out all the drug dealers exactly. and the broken glass. <laughs> exactly. And his lads, they want a cheeseburger or, a, you know, a muffin. They don't want a... Chorizo and squids. Yeah, exactly, which is what Helen had. Chorizo yeah. and squid uh, sort of brew thing. Stew. Stew. That's Yummers. what I was looking for. Um, Chickpeas in it. Yeah, they, he didn't want that. But I said to him, well, sorry, I love it. I live in the area too. I'm a young media professional. What are you going to do about it? And he got really angry. He said, it's not for wankers like you. Who is it for then? <laughs> no one else can afford to live near that apart from wankers like you. He's, just a, fu- he's a fucking ageing young media professional. He is. He's jealous of you, Ollie. I know. He looks himself in the mirror and he sees young Ollie man looking at him. He thinks he's still got the teeth to eat a meringue. It's so unfair. <laughs> what you are, I once was. Fabio continues. Oh, does he? They have recently reopened the cafe and sell an item called a baby chino. I don't know what a baby chino is, and they're rather expensive, so I don't want to buy one. Is this steamed milk? Wait! So... Oh, it's a steamed milk. Wait! Okay. So, Ollie, answer me this. Mm. What is a baby chino? It's a steamed milk. Yeah, as Martin said three times, it's steamed milk. <laughs> it's, it's frothy milk that looks like a cappuccino, but most importantly, you're not feeding a baby caffeine. That's right. Uh, I think it's quite a clever ruse by cafes mm. um, because it means that mums who like to leave the house and do a thing that they used to enjoy before they were encumbered by children can do it they can give the child a sophisticated adult looking drink and pretend they're a colleague and they're out yeah. for lunch and they can... <laughs> let's talk about our projected sales plan shall we <laughs> they can all sit there with their froth this means they're more likely to stay there spend money yeah. mm. well go there in the first place because it gives the impression of being child friendly it's essentially the sort of Starbucks answer originally to the Happy Meal, wasn't it? Probably. You know, you're going to go, here's something to give your kids that's cheap. In Starbucks, it's free, I believe. Yes, that, I was, I was amazed at that. Yeah. But not in America, though. Just here. Just here, Which yeah. is odd that a customer service thing is better here yeah, than anywhere. <laughs> and if you start them on the baby chinos when they're fresh off the teat, then you're creating <laughs> little Starbucks addicts for the future. Well, here's a question from Ian. Uh, he says, I recently watched Kez for the first time. I was fairly confident throughout that the eponymous Kez was not going to live to see the final credits roll. Can we spoil this? Well, it is from 1969. So right, I think yes. we're safe. Anyone You're right. Who, anyone is who dead. cares has seen it in the past 43 years. Yeah, okay. I've not seen it. Fine. It spoiled it for me. Thank you, Ian. <laughs> However, when Kez did eventually snuff it, I was struck by the realism of the dead Kez that child actor David Bradley lifted from the dustbin and proceeded to swing around the family living room. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like a very jolly film. Oh, it is, yeah. yeah. It's a big musical number at the end. <laughs> Everyone swings a dead bird around and then what, they all kiss. Instead of a gold walking stick, like That's on right. Broadway. Yeah. Uh, so, Ollie, answer me these. Firstly, was it a real bird? Yes. If so, was it really dead? Yes. If so, was it the Kestrel that played Kez? Of course it bloody was. He was one of the finest Kestrel actors of his generation. (laughs) They couldn't couldn't waste him do a Kez snuff film. He's made sure that he was able to attend the BAFTAs, of course. Uh, No, they they didn't kill a bird because that would contravene all sorts of regulations if they'd killed a bird specifically for the film. They they found a dead bird. And they might have needed to do retakes as well with with Kez. Well, Kez was, of course, a trained bird and those are more precious than your average Kestrel. He was a bloody diva as well. He wouldn't wouldn't (laughs) sign the contract that allowed him to be killed. He was very insistent that his billing came first. That's why his name's in the title. His billing, very good. <laughs> it's more for ducks, though, to be honest. Yeah, well, anyway, so no, it was a real uh, dead, dead bird, bird, but it wasn't Kez. Uh, Ken Loach, the director, didn't tell the child actor David Bradley that it wasn't the real Kez, 
So that's why his emotion is so raw and so real, because the actor had developed a bond with the real cares during the filming and was genuinely upset, waving mm-hmm. its dead body around the room. <laughs> well, it's quite a gross thing for any child to do. But it was a, a dead bird that they'd found, right? Not one they'd killed especially for the occasion. So it seems. I wasn't there. I don't know what dark secrets happened in the filming and of Kes. I haven't seen the film, but I should imagine that one dead kestrel looks much like another kestrel to the, the layperson viewer. Yes, I'm sure that's right. You're not going to be like, hang on! That's completely ruined the film! They haven't made up that kestrel to look the same. Yeah. Also, I mean, I'm not sure I've seen any other examples of 1960s Yorkshire committed to film either. Mm. So all of that could be fake as far as I know. (laughs) I just assumed it was real. It could have all been mocked up in 1985 for all I know. I didn't see it until then. (laughs) Conspiracy theorist Ollie Mann strikes again. Kes was done on a soundstage next to the moon landings. (laughs) And Myra Hindley directed it. If you've got a question... Then email your question to answer me this podcast at googlemail.com Answer me this podcast at googlemail.com Answer me this podcast at googlemail.com Answer me this podcast at Here's a question from Alistair from Edinburgh who says, My fiancé was wondering aloud about the origins of the term cold feet. You have such interesting chats. (laughs) Uh, He says, as we're in the process of planning to get married, I'm sure the query came into her head thanks to putting up with chilly feet in bed. Yes, that's it. Rather than any reconsideration of our future together. Helen, answer me this. Where did the term having cold feet come from? Well... It's popularly uh, attributed to the novelist Stephen Crane and his book... Never heard of him. No, me neither. Maggie, A Girl of the Streets, published in 1896. But actually, it's been around for way more than that. For about 400 years before that, it meant that you didn't have any money. Mm -hmm. And so if you were betting, you had to retreat from the table. You know, you had to you had to back away mm-hmm. from a card table, mm-hmm. for instance. Okay, what's that got to do with your feet or well, getting I, cold? Well, I guess you know if you're if you're in a place betting and then you leave that place, yeah. you're no longer near the fire or anything warm. Or there's the heat going on at the table with all the heat from the hot gambling. Or if you're poor, you couldn't afford shoes because shoes were a very expensive commodity. Yeah, but what's that got to do with backing away from a marriage? Cold feet meant that you were poor. Yes. And then if you were poor, then, uh, you know, you might not be up for doing a bet. So you see how these things get interlinked. And then it just came to mean somebody who was retreating from a thing. I mean, it's kind of, yeah, okay. I mean, the analogy is sort of not having the balls, not having the metal, not being able to step up, isn't it? Getting cold feet in that sense away from the gambling table. Yeah. And also, apparently, uh, the body exerts a fear response where the blood flow is withdrawn from the extremities during extreme stress and fear, which would mean your extremities oh. felt colder. Mm-hmm. Mm. Did you have cold feet? And I don't mean, I genuinely don't mean, did you th- worry that you were marrying the wrong man? I just mean... Yes! Did you? <laughs> because we all know the answer to that. That was your first husband, right? <laughs> I, I mean... Um, Third time lucky. You know, did nerves get the better of you at any point and did you think, I'm not sure I should be doing this? Uh, I never had doubts about Martin, but I really hated the uh, process of planning a wedding and yeah. having to get married. But you and were I really thought, good at it. No, no, I wasn't. Uh, and I thought, why am I doing this? And I completely lost sight of what marriage meant to me and what the point of it all was right and so in that sense yes but at no point did i think i you shouldn't do it because i thought because i thought the problem's not martin so i might as well carry on because yeah. so i didn't have that panic right that's good isn't it, it even though i was having such a disagreeable the best experience kind of wedding nerves to have yippee. <laughs> uh, even though i was having this disagreeable experience i thought well at least it's confirmed to me that uh, i'll put up with it because i like martin to such an extent planning a wedding is obviously so stressful for everyone involved well i wonder at what point 
if uh, bride doesn't show up on the wedding i'm mm. saying bride it could be a man as well yes. couldn't it could be the groom on what point on the day itself if is either it- the bride or the groom doesn't turn up is it called off like if the bride's half an hour late i've been at loads of weddings where that's happened and people yeah. even joke about the fact oh yeah. cold feet really? and it actually maybe it is but anyway, yeah. they come and they it's go not, through with it. It's not, it's usually because her makeup is unsatisfactory. Yeah, the, the show up, yeah, exactly. Yeah. If it goes past an hour, I think at that point, they'd probably say to everyone, okay, this is a bit embarrassing, but, you know, would you mind standing up and milling around for a bit? Because they're not going to leave you on the pews, are they, at that point? Well, but there's probably another wedding waiting to come in. Exactly. But I still think after an hour, like, say, at 90 minutes, if the bride came in then, they'd still go ahead with the wedding. But I reckon after mm. two hours, oh. so you've had an hour of standing around after an hour of sitting around, it's over. Like, even if she comes back at that point, it's over. Well, who It's would too want, obvious, isn't it? Who would want to marry? such a tardy woman that's, that's right i mean it's arrogant that level of lateness she's essentially saying my time is more important than all of your time yeah but the, that, that rude is, the thing is that is kind of what the bride's saying when the bride turns up half an hour late isn't it but everyone's all right with it because they're like well she's the bride yeah her I, time is more important than mine i was on time you and were I was very busy you on weren't only on time wedding. you were greeting people as they arrived yes. you were there how first do you do? how do you do how do you do <laughs> and i was really busy on the mornings so had to make the vegan cakes yeah I love the fact that Alistair from Edinburgh just asked us the origins of this phrase and we've treated the question as if he said, my fiance is about to leave me. <laughs> what should I do? Well, we, you know, we've got to interpret these things as we may. <laughs> well, here's a question from Farmer Bert from the Peak District. Evocative. Uh, who says, Helen, answer me this. Why is the game ping pong called ping pong? Because it doesn't make a ping pong noise. It is called ping pong because it makes a ping pong noise. It sort of does make a ping oh, pong shit, noise. Bert. Quite hard to think. how. I mean, you could call it... But that's just not very easy to write down. One of its early names was Whiff Waff as well. Oh. I remember that. Do you? No, yeah, because... Um, I don't. Uh, no, I'll tell you, you why. You in the 1890s? No, I wasn't, but of course Boris Johnson was. And he um, <laughs> he made that speech, didn't he, at the Olympics. He went to... Oh, um, he went Beijing. to Beijing, right. And he said, we're very proud that uh, the Olympics is coming back to the home of Whiff Waff. And that's what... Because it's a British sport, ping pong. Yes. It's like a, some sort of farting base game. But you could waft the fart away with the bat. <laughs> uh, ping pong was invented by Victorians yes. as, as an after-dinner entertainment. And they, they did it on the table and they made um, a little barrier out of books as the net. And they used a cigar box lid as the paddle and a champagne cork as the ball. Oh. But that's not that bouncy, a champagne cork. No, well, that's why it got replaced by a ball when yeah. someone went to America and discovered ping pong balls. <laughs> Discovered aerodynamics. Well, they discovered celluloid and thought that's a better material for a ball because you can make it round, whereas a champagne cork is a very difficult shape. But the point of adapting your dining table, if you've got one, into uh, the table for ping pong... I mean, IKEA still sell kits that let you do that. Yeah, you could probably make it into a billiards table as well. Actually, it probably was the billiards table with a net over it, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, it probably was. But apparently the name ping pong uh, was uh, far too feminine for men to play, so that's why they had to pretend it was called table tennis. Ah. Yeah. Uh, what's the longest you've ever spent playing ping pong <laughs> well i think about the time it took the ball to whiz over the table at me <laughs> and for me to miss it yeah what's that uh, less than a second yeah how do you do i'm jackie mason and i'm the guy that was a big hit just now on the helen and ali show but i tell you the truth after speaking to them i think they, they are fantastically intelligent people and you'll be very impressed with them why i'm not impressed with them i don't know Right, well, last week we had an internationally renowned comedian on the show. This week we've got some of you drunk calling us up. (laughs) And drunks and soberists alike, if you want to give us a call, here's the number. 0208123 Or you can Skype answer me this if you can hit the keys accurately enough. (laughs) Let's see who's been in touch this week. Hi, it's Beth and Bee from Lewis. Helen and Ollie, answer me this. 
What happens to the money that people put in the fountains at Trafalgar Square? Uh, it goes up to money heaven. With, does it? With Queen Victoria. I bet it doesn't. I bet there's an elderly man with a specially adapted rake or something who gathers it. Why elderly? Because it feels like a relic. You know, in a few years' time, we'll all be using our phones to pay with things. You know, we'll be using Google Wallet <laughs> we'll, or something. We'll be throwing we our credit cards into the... Uh... Exactly. <laughs> or there'll be a PayPal micropayments facility in, in one of the lion's mouths on Trafalgar <laughs> Square. Well, I don't know if uh, the man or woman who does it is old uh, but uh, they have a very important job Helen because mm. they are creating revenue for the Greater London Authority oh really uh, and uh, presumably that goes into restoring the fountains after he's stuffed a bit of it into his pocket and told no one you wouldn't want to do that because that water is probably riddled with germs <laughs> I was reading about the Met in uh, New York where They've got, I think, several fountains now to grab people's money. It's uh, weird. It's so weird. And they rake that out once a week and they have to clean all of it. It's a bit of a pain. You think that probably costs more than the coinage that people have thrown in there? Because you I, can't even put a high denomination in if you're in America because that's paper money. The thing that I always find weird is when you go to Disneyland and there's people throwing money into It's a Small World. It's, it's like a you metaphor. Paid, yeah, exactly. You've paid $60 <laughs> to come in here. What are you throwing more money at them for? It's sort of superstition, I suppose. It, it feels lucky. And yeah. I know it doesn't work or anything, but... Well, what it's... do you mean? Look at the incredible life you have. That's true, actually. Yeah. Life. Lovely job. Stop complaining, Martin. Yeah, Ten yeah. guitars. All your dreams have come true. Lovely head of hair. That's yeah. true, actually. The act of chucking the coins in the fountain is kind of ancient thing. The Greeks used to do it as an offering to the naiads. Is there any point in ancient Greece in a day where you weren't offering something to the gods? The problem with Greek gods is that there are loads of them, yeah. which means there's always one that's angry at you and needs to be appeased. Mm. So you think, OK, I've done the ox. Yeah. I've, <laughs> I've cut off my hair. I've killed my firstborn... Oh, the naiads are going to get me. Yeah. Sit. Found a fascinating fact about the uh, Trafalgar oh, yeah. Square uh, fountains. Yeah. They were installed by the Victorians. Yeah. Not for beauty. What? But why? But why? why? I know the reason why, and it's good. Is it uh, drinking water? No. Was it for flushing toilets with or something? No, that would be a good Victoriana type fact, but it's not that. Was it pumping water out of the embankment? No. Think about it? Trafalgar Square now and what it's used for now. Feeding pigeons. No. Keep going. Tourists. Keep going. Funny What's, concerts. Nearly, yeah. Funny concerts for oh, what? Pink did a thing and T-Mobile filmed it. <laughs> oh, God. No, it's used for, for riots, isn't it? And protest politics. Awesome. People use it for gatherings, right? And they thought, you know what we need before Water we get cannons. kettled? Fountains and some cherubs in them. Yes. What? Yes. What? The um, fountain actually has a tiny little police station in it. What really? the shit? Yeah. <laughs> There's a police post inside a granite column in the corner of the fountain, which linked at the day directly to Scotland Yard. Stop dicking with me. Honestly, and it had slots through which uh, people could fire on rioters. And if you want to pick off a few pigeons without telling anybody. <laughs> I'm an answer me this fan. I listen with my nan. She is not so keen. She finds it too obscene. I follow them on Twitter, though Ashton Kutcher's fitter. I want to take things further Just one step short of murder I want to look like Ollie Man I want to smell like Ollie Man I want to be like Ollie Man I want to chase like Ollie Man I want to think like Ollie Man I want to talk like Ollie Man Well, here's a question from Andy from Newport who says... There are some really bad movies made that were released to the world, but Ollie, answer me this. What is the biggest box office failure of all time? Wow, okay. People will always say that it's Cutthroat Island. But that actually... 
actually made money. What's I know it was high budget at the time. The Gina Davis film, there was a pirate ship. Oh. Basically, what happened? I've, I've heard a really in-depth interview with Rennie Harlan, the director, mm. about this on a podcast that I listened to called KCRW's The Business, which is a Hollywood podcast. An Ollie Man pick. Uh, it is very good pods. if you're interested in that sort of thing. And he does a long, like, 40-minute explanation as to why, even though everyone says this is the most loss-making box office failure of all time, that it lost $139 million in inflated terms now, um, that it didn't. Get over because... it, Rennie. It was ages ago now. <laughs> well, to be fair, he hasn't made that many films since, so he's, he's still allowed. paying for it slightly. He's never made a film that allows him to make more films now. Yeah. Um, he said it made loads more money back on DVD and telly sales and stuff afterwards, to the yeah, point where it's right. almost broken even now. And B... The studio that uh, financed it, they were going bust anyway. They basically went into administration uh-huh. before the marketing got done for the film. Yeah. Right. So he basically said, well, if they can't pay for the marketing, no one's going to go and see an action film in which the main character is female. It's Gina Davis playing a pirate. No one's going to go and see a woman in an action film unless you market the hell out of it. And they'd always depended all along on well, it being a big marketing that, budget, which that, wasn't there. That sounds like horseshit. I remember it being very heavily marketed here and everyone said, but it's bad. And yeah, I think it probably is quite bad. <laughs> but also, how do you work out a flop? Because a film that flopped years ago, it might have made a few thousand back on a 30 million budget, but now film budgets are so huge. So, you know, do you do it by proportion of what was made as opposed to what was spent? And if so, therefore, if you made a film for a thousand pounds and no one went to see it so you made naught would that be the biggest flop well the generally accepted way of measuring this although i think this is fair because it doesn't involve dvd sales Mm. is about the amount of dollars that it lost that are between what it cost to make and then you know what it recouped at the box office Uh, so number one on that scale is cutthroat island and that's by the way whether you adjust it for 2012 prices or not Uh, (laughs) then um there's one called the alamo with Dennis Quaid and Billy Bob Thornton only a million behind Uh, and then Battlefield Earth which is John Travolta being terrible about Scientology Uh, and then uh, Raise the Titanic's in there as well in that list that was the the film about which Lou Grade famously quipped it would have been cheaper to lower the Atlantic (laughs) (laughs) it was a great great show anecdote that people from the 70s always say there was a film that Uma Thurman was in called I think Motherhood and that had a budget, not a big budget by today's standard, but about 10 million. Mm. And on its opening night in England, it made nine pounds. <laughs> oh. Christ. Not recouping well. Here's another entertainment question from Harry from Birmingham, who says, Ollie, answer me this. Do the guys on channels like E4... Who the guys. Do, the guys, the lads, uh, <laughs> who do the voice for the bits in between TV shows saying what's coming up, do it live or not? And so... Is there a person hired just to do this? Yes, unthinkable as it is. There the is continuity a continuity answer, answer and yeah. they are hired just to do that, that means, seemingly trivial job yes. of linking between things. And yet it means that if suddenly the, the programme fails, they go, oh, I'm terribly sorry, there appears to be a problem with the transmission, but we will return to The Simpsons shortly. Yep. Well, let's see, I can see that happening for the BBC. They, they would be very posh like that, wouldn't they? But if it's like Viva, we've got a show coming up for you on Viva. How would, they, how would they respond to a technical problem? I didn't problem? know you moonlighted for Viva, Martin. <laughs> Oh, the voice of the youth speaks. Uh, you're absolutely right, yes. Some of the uh, digital channels, they, they don't have live continuity announcers, but they're still hiring someone to do it. It's just, it is, yes, it is all done on, on tape. So they just go into a room at the beginning of the week, co- record a couple of hours of continuity links, and then someone plays them out. Jackson Lee, Helen and Ollie, answer me this. I've just seen a film with the Barbershop Quartet in it. Why aren't four men singing in harmony called the Barbershop Quartet? Well, people used to gather in barbershops and sing. So the barbershops were like a community centre because uh, the men could go there and uh, get away with the singing. Well, they were having their hair cut. No, I think people would just hang out at the barbers. Like in South London, often you'll pass uh, 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 hairdressers 
at about midnight and it will still be absolutely rammed with people. You think, is there something suspicious going on? But they're just, they're they're just hanging out. So I think uh, it kind of originated um, in barbershops for African-American men who probably didn't get many chances to socialise in the racist bits of America. In, They've got Lindy hopping. In the uh, 1800s. Oh. Um, but while they were waiting for their haircuts, they had a sing to pass the time. They harmonised with each other and that's where the style of music now, came. That is really interesting because I, I think of barbershop quartet as being a very white style. I don't well, think of it as being a black style. Uh. Like all good things uh, in music, the uh, white people came and nicked it. That is really interesting. But apparently barbershop kind of died out a bit in about 1920 because radio came in and dance bands came in mm. and uh. then, you know, the tunes were more for one vocalist and poor old barbershop well, now relegated. We've got, now we've got master composers like Will I Am. We don't need harmony, do we? Ollie's really angry at Will I Am at oh, the moment, guys. That song's just so awful, my I God. don't know which one you're talking about, so many to choose from. Uh, it's the one that's ostensibly all about getting a boner, and it's got Mick Jagger on it. And Actually, J-Lo. I'm making it sound great. It's not great. <laughs> that sounds like every Rolling Stones song. Mick Jagger, J-Lo, he's in a fake aeroplane, he's leaping over concrete slabs. No, no, but Helen's describing the video, which yeah. is quite exciting. You watch the video and you almost don't notice that the song is such a terrible dirge that you need to check yourself into some sort of clinic to recover afterwards. It's <laughs> fucking they, they awful. They used to be a proper rapping group, didn't they? Black that was a long time ago, Martin. Time Since ago. then they've been busy remixing the theme from Dirty Dancing and stuff. Classic rap lines like, here we come, here we go, wop, 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 wop. <laughs> wow. Up and down, round and round. Wheels on the bus. <laughs> I don't know about you, listeners, but sometimes I reach the end of a podcast with a wanton craving for more. In such moments, I confess, I have recourse to the Answer Me This on the iPhone and, additionally, in times of dire need, Android, upon which I have indulged in the weekly bonus material and over three hours of best bits. Uh, here's a question from Maria from Hong Kong who says, I live in Hong Kong. Ollie, you should visit and I'll take you to Hong Kong Disneyland. Yay! I'm not sure about that. You want to go to all the Disneylands though, don't you? Isn't that your lifetime's ambition? <laughs> no, because they're all the same. I can go to the one that's near me. There's one near you. Yeah, there's one in Haringey now. <laughs> Very convenient. And then you can pop into the Edmonton Ikea on the way home. <laughs> Helen, answer me this. Did you ever do a Myers-Briggs personality test to find out your personality type? No, until we received this question. And now I have done. Actually, I did two. And they came up with uh, differing results. Okay. So, according to one, I am the architect. Uh, and <laughs> INTP. But according to the other, I am the craftsman. I-S-T-P. You can't put the letters after your name anyway, Helen, whether you want to be an architect or not. So I wouldn't worry too much about it. The thing is, the craftsman and the architect are very dissimilar seeming characters. Okay. The craftsman sounds like a surf dude twat and <laughs> the architect sounds like Asperger's. Well, the thing is, the questions that it was asking, because I did this test as well. It only offers you yes or no. And sometimes there is a grey area. Well, exactly. Or things where I actually agree with both. Yeah. So like one of the questions was, at work I am, A, relationship focused or B, task oriented. Depends if your girlfriend's there or not. Well, it's just like, I mean, you can be task oriented in if a way that a involves relating to people, yes, can't you? exactly. And then there was, well, I prefer someone who is a empathetic or b efficient 
It's like, I like people who are both, thank you. Yeah, well, but if you're getting your car serviced, you probably care more about it being done right. by an hour hence than by somebody understanding your personal turmoil. Although I would like the person who's actually doing the bill at QuickFit to be very empathetic of my credit card situation. I'm going to describe the craftsman to you and see if this rings any bells. The craftsman shows little interest in developing language skills, <laughs> but seeks fun and games on impulse, looking for any opportunity to play with their various toys, cars, motorcycles, boats, dune buggies, hunting rifles, fishing tackle, scuba gear, and so on. They fishing tackle and no interest in language. This sounds so yeah, much like you. They thrive on excitement, particularly the rush of speed racing, water skiing, <laughs> and surfing. And crafters are fearless in their play, exposing themselves to danger again and again. For the architect, there are some things that I think you're going to enjoy. It is difficult for an architect to listen to nonsense, even in a casual conversation, without pointing out the speaker's error. Okay, yeah, that sounds like you. Yeah. Yep. I came out as the advocate. Uh, oh, yeah. What does e that involve? ENFP. Loves avocados. Uh, it says, uh, I'm, uh, my primary function is extroverted intuition. I'm not surprised. They actively send their thoughts and ideas out into the world as a way to bring attention to what they feel might be important. Well, fancy that. Which often has to do with <laughs> ethics and current events. No, not in this case. No, no. And then at the bottom, it, it compares you to celebrities that have got the same category as you. Uh, apparently Andy Kaufman is an advocate uh -oh. and Bill Cosby and also this is really weird Ariel from The Little Mermaid that's not a real person I doubt that the uh, writers of The Little Mermaid made Ariel sit a personality yeah. test who so how do they know who sat these tests for Bill Cosby and the late Andy Kaufman yeah it seems unlikely doesn't it but I think what I would say with my expressive intuition Maria is that this test sounds a bit flawed I mean this doesn't really have that much more weight than the ones that are in the backs of women's magazines about whether you're more a handbag or a lipstick well whether you're a handbag or a lipstick or, or perhaps an eyeliner uh, oh, all... I, we don't want any eyeliners getting in touch with the show. <laughs> all types are welcome, Helen. Uh, then uh, you can get in touch and ask us a question for a future edition of Answer Me This. We'd very much like it if you did. That's true. And uh, all of our contact details, the email address, the Skyping, the phone, are listed on our website. AnswerMeThisPodcast.com Where you can also find, uh, and new listeners might not know this, the first 80 episodes of our show. Ooh. So the first two years worth of the show is there. If you've worked through our free back catalogue, it's there on and our you website. Need more. More. You, need, you need much more. Helen slapping her arm like a heroin addict. <laughs> I can't get the vein up. Too many blood donations. It's collapsed. You wouldn't want to put a podcast in there. No, I don't really want to put a podcast anywhere in my body. No. no. They're not made for digital files. Yet. Future generations will have an automatic docking system. <laughs> and you think about that. Don't Google automatic docking. And we'll see you <laughs> next week. Bye! Bye.